Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, as you're finding your place there, Pastor mentioned uh, that uh, my family and I are on a, a new uh, kind of walk or place in our journey with the Lord, and uh, back actually in uh, June of this year, um, uh, the Board of Trustees of Baptist International Missions Incorporated uh, voted unanimously to uh, make me the Far North Director with BIMI. Uh, they asked me to do that they, about a year ago, actually, so it was a pretty lengthy process of uh, just kind of preparing and then getting before the Board of Trustees and and uh, praying about it and knowing that that was what the Lord would have us to do. We're excited about it. We are uh, responsible to help 27 missionary units across uh, Canada, Greenland, and Alaska. So we count, uh, at BIMI, we count husband and wives, each as missionaries. So that would be 2750, what's that, 54 uh, missionaries plus children that are in those families and such, but each husband and wife counted as a missionary. But 27 missionary units across the north. And I'm going to tell you that that's not even making it dent. We're praying for 35 uh, missionary uh, units in the next five years. So we're beginning a new program called 1040 North, and I would love to talk to you more about that uh, in the uh, foyer this morning. We um, uh, just I just got a phone call yesterday from a young man that I knew in Quebec and uh, is looking to raise support and uh, be at a church in Manitoba, and we're working really hard to get him into our candidate school this June uh, so that uh, he can be a part of BIMI and uh, begin raising his support. Uh, Brother Dan DeLong, one of your missionaries who you support, is our deputation coordinator at uh, BIMI. I called Brother Dan yesterday, and uh, by the way, he doesn't work for me, and I don't work for him. We're kind of co-equals there, uh, but uh, he gets a lot of grief from the directors because every director wants their missionaries getting through candidate school and getting to the fields as quickly as possible. And I told Brother Dan, I said, hey, I've got a guy that wants to come. And he said, he said, impossible, impossible. The cutoff date was last Friday. I said, I don't care what you have to do. You make it happen. And if you don't, I'm going to tell Pastor Schott to cut your support off. And so uh, I hope he's uh, making it happen um, to uh, get him in there. Uh, but we uh, rejoice in those who are answering the call to missions, and uh, we've got a missionary on, on the deputation going to Greenland. Uh, to our knowledge, he'll be only the third missionary in the history of that country to ever be an independent Baptist missionary in the, in the country of Greenland. We really need 35 just to reach the country of Greenland if we're going to do it effectively. Uh, we need missionaries in Alaska and across all of the uh, north in Canada as well. And you pray along with us, if you would, please, about the 1040 North Project. Uh, I don't know, do you get the BIMI World Magazine here, Pastor? Um, okay, well, there'll be an articles coming out this, uh, this next one in May on what 1040 North is. And the idea is that the world has come to Canada and we want to use the resources there to reach the 1040 window nations across uh, uh, the, uh, the world, which is obviously further south, so that's why it's 1040 north, and, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. You're in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 in your Bibles this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and I want to thank the church for um, the fruit basket that we had and the place that we're staying and uh, just allowing us to be here. You received a faith promise card this morning. Let me explain that to you quickly. Uh, pastor's going to uh, come a little bit later on. But this is just a, a card that we're going to ask you to, to, to look at a little bit later on in the service and fill out. And, and uh, actually, just I told you to look at it. Put it aside. Pay no attention to me in regards to that. We'll, we'll turn to the Bible first, and then we'll come back to that and uh, look at that and have you uh, take a look there. Second Corinthians chapter 9 is where we are. And uh, pastor asked me to spend some time here in this text and... Um, uh, honestly, we're going to move very, very quickly because I am trying to uh, present to you material that I would normally take at least four ser services to present. And so um, now I know everybody just went into a cold sweat because you think we're not getting out of here early. Um, pastor says I have to be done at the very latest by a certain time. Um, and that clock says it's only five after 10. And so I think we're doing great and um, we'll get started. And we've got probably plenty of time to make it through this. Uh, first, Second Corinthians chapter number nine, before, before I read our text, I, I want to remind us, this is Faith Promise Missions Giving Sunday. I like the term grace giving as well. Um, and, and why do we do this? 
Well, we do this because you and I have a great commission, which is not an option, it's a command. And that is that the gospel should be proliferated around the world, that we should be getting the gospel to every living creature around the world. Every man and woman, boy and girl around the world uh, is, really deserves an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is incumbent upon you and I to get the gospel there. And so the gospel is to be proliferated. And by the way, that's not a New Testament concept. That's all through the Bible. God has always expected his people to go to the world and tell the world about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then the Bible also tells us that one of the ways that that's going to be accomplished is that preachers need to be sent. We're all familiar with Romans 10 and verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, think that through. The Bible says that preachers ought to be sent. The gospel needs to be proliferated around the world. Preachers need to be sent. And when we bring missionaries into churches, a lot of times you'll have missionaries come in. We'll say, this is a missionary who's on deputation. And I think a lot of times we don't even really consider what does that even mean, they're on deputation. What it really literally means is you're bringing a missionary in who's raising support to get to a field, and if you take that missionary on for support, you are deputizing them as your kind of extended staff to go to a place where you can't go with the gospel and to carry out the work of the ministry of the gospel. And the Bible says very specifically these people are to be sent now, if your employer tells you on Monday, we're sending you to California for a business trip, you don't expect to pay your own plane ticket, do you? You don't expect to pay for your meals or your hotel. You expect that your employer, who is sending you, is going to cover those, those needs. And so God's plan is that the local church will send preachers around the world, and as we send them, it is our duty, it is incumbent upon us as local church members to meet the needs of those who we have deputized, kind of as our extended staff members, around the world. Uh, we uh, supported a number of missionaries in Arizona. I didn't necessarily call them staff members, but I surely looked at them that way. I surely treated them that way in many regards. I expected certain things from them. I, I required certain things, uh, prayer letters and reports, and, and wanted to keep up with what they were doing. Because why? Well, because we were invested in what they were doing. We were sending them. We deputized them to go on our behalf. How do you do that? How does the local church deputize enough people to get around the world? It seems like an impossible task. But God wouldn't ask you and I to do anything that is impossible. It's impossible for us, but all things are possible with God. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 and 8 are going to be our text verses. We're going to look at chapter 8 as well. But notice what the Bible says, if you would, please, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 and 8. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound in e to every good work. Our Father, we would ask that you'd please bless this time that we have together this morning, and that you will speak to every heart and work in every life. We pray that nobody would leave this place without having a relationship with Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody here maybe doesn't know that if they were to die today, they'd be instantaneously and forever with Jesus. We pray that they would enter into a, a relationship with him by faith. We pray that you speak to every Christian heart. We'll thank you for the decisions that are made that have the potential to impact eternity. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I was a preacher of the gospel, I worked in the, the prison system here in Connecticut. And, and uh, while I was working for the State uh, Department of Correction, I worked in two different maximum security prisons. And uh, I don't know that it's changed any now in the years that I haven't been there. But when I was there, uh, I found that, that on any given day, even on the very best day when we had our highest staffing numbers, uh, we were outnumbered, staff were outnumbered by inmates by 
on, on average, about 25 to 1. So 25 maximum security inmates to every one staff member. That's on a high day when all your staff are at work and all the, the extra staff who teach school and counselors and all those kinds of things. And a lot of times it could be a lot less than that. I worked in dormitories where there were literally over 200 guys and just two staff members in it. And, and, and we, were, we were tasked with something that seemed to be quite impossible, with keeping control in a maximum security prison. I was in 19 different prison riots in my career with the Department of Correction, uh, responded on their emergency response team 19 different times. And I can tell you there were times when I was in a situation where I wondered if I would go home. But the truth of the matter is what I found out was we actually, over the long run, were able to maintain control. And one of the reasons we could do that was simply this. When, when something went wrong in the prison, when there would be uh, an incident, uh, an uprising, a fight in a housing unit, a staff member being assaulted, we would get an announcement that would come across to staff members, and it always started this way. All available staff. And then they would tell us where to report to and what we were expecting to report to so we could be prepared. But it was all available staff. And what I found out was, though we were greatly outnumbered, if all available staff did what they were supposed to do and what they were trained to do and what was required of them, we could maintain control in impossible situations. God is asking you and I to reach the, the, the world, 7.8 billion people with the gospel. It seems impossible. Even with as many people who are in this room today, let's be honest, from a human standpoint, it's impossible to think that we can reach 7.8 billion people with the gospel. So how do we do it? Well, it starts this way. We need all available Christians. We need everybody to be involved, not just missionaries, not just preachers. We need every Christian involved in missions and missions giving, in going and in sending. And that's really where we start in our text this morning. And I want you to notice a principle of giving in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 7. I see it in the very first two words of the verse. Every man, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The principle of faith promise missions giving, by the way, faith promise missions giving isn't something that, that this church dreamed up. It's not something that Baptist International Missions dreamed up. It's right here in the Bible, and we're going to present it to you this morning. Uh, the principle of it is God says every one of his children ought to be involved. Every single person. Doesn't matter how young you are. Doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter if you're one of the goers. You should still be one of the senders. Everybody is supposed to be involved in this. And yet, uh, I've learned through the years, um, as, I've, as I've pastored in different places and I've preached missions conferences at different places, uh, we have a saying in Arizona, this ain't my first rodeo. And so this ain't my first rodeo. And so even though I read in this passage this morning to people who are here gathered, and I imagine most of us would say, I believe the Bible, and it says every man, as he purposed in his heart, there's somebody who says, yeah, but there's an exception for me because you don't understand my circumstance. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too poor, there's more month than money, you don't understand the circumstance I'm living in, and so I know it says every man, but it really doesn't apply to me. Can I tell you that God has a different opinion? That, that God has a different viewpoint? That God expects everybody, and you may be saying to me, but you don't understand my situation, I may not, that's true, but God does. And God says every person, every man, boy and girl, woman and ch uh, woman, child, it doesn't matter. And you say, yeah, but you don't know how little bit of money I have. You're right, I don't. But God does. And he still has a different opinion. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and verse number 17, this is what God says about our ability to give and whether we have the ability to give or not. It's not a matter of whether we have ability to give or not. It's what God says. Whosoever hath this world's good 
and seeth his brother have a need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for, from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So I want you to think about that verse with me for a second. If a missionary comes to this church and says, God has called me to plant a church in Manitoba, or has called me to Greenland, would you and I agree, I hope this morning, that they have a need to get to Manitoba, or they have a need to get to Greenland, so that they can be obedient to the, to the will of God for their life. They have a real legitimate need to get there. God says if you see a brother, not a lost person, but a brother that has that need, and you don't help to meet that need, how does the love of God dwell in you? You say, but I still don't have a bunch of money. God says it doesn't matter. Because God says if you have this world's good. You say, but I don't have a lot of goods. That word good in 1 John 3 and verse number 17 comes from the Greek word bios. It means simply that which is used to sustain life. So the fact is, according to God's word, if you are living and breathing, and as I survey the audience this morning, it seems like most of you are, Raise your hand if you're not. Thank you. There's always one teenager. <laughs> if you are living and breathing, you have something you can give. And I want us to recognize that it doesn't have to be $1,000. It might be a very small amount in the world's eyes and even in your eyes. But I want us to understand by the time we're done, it's not going to be about the, the amount. It's going to be about what we're doing in our heart. Because the truth of the matter is, God doesn't need our money to accomplish the Great Commission. He just lets us get involved this way. Jesus was in the temple one day, back in the Gospels, we read about this, and Jesus was in the temple, and he was just kind of standing there, and he was observing the offering. By the way, I believe he still does that. He was watching as people were casting their offerings into the offering boxes. And he was watching a bunch of rich men cast their, their money into an offering box. And he watched a little poor widow woman cast her offering in as well. Now, from a human standpoint, her offering was considerably smaller, probably not even equal to today's penny, maybe equal to today's penny, than what all these rich men were giving. And as Jesus was watching and observing the offering, he was also observing the heart of the people who were giving the offering. By the way, I think he still does that. And he was observing their hearts. And as he did that, Jesus makes a comment. And this is what he says. For all these, the rich men, have of their abundance. By the way, he's not criticizing them. He's just making a statement. Have of their abundance cast into the offering of God. There's nothing wrong with giving out of your abundance. But she, of her punery, her poverty, has cast in all the living. That word is bios. All the living that she had. What did she do? Everything that she had, whatever that little bit of money was, was the bios. It was that which was going to be used to purchase what she needed to sustain her life. And she gave it all to God. Every bit of it. Was it a large amount? No. Clearly it wasn't. But she gave it all. And here's the thing. She didn't have a lot to give. But she was living. and She was breathing. She had bios. She had something to give. You're here. You're living. You're breathing. You have bios. You have something to give. And it's important for us to know also that we are talking about giving and not paying. Paul said very specifically in our, in our text verses that we should give not of necessity. That word necessity uh, speaks of that which is done by way of that which is required of us. So the type of giving that we're speaking about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is not of necessity. It's not required. So I'm telling you right from the very start, you don't necessarily have to give to Faith Promise Missions giving, 
But if you don't, you better have a better way than, than what God is presenting to us in his word to, to be involved in the Great Commission because you will be disobedient to the Great Commission if you're not involved in some way. But you don't have to give. You're not of necessity. You see, there is a type of thing that we do by necessity when we take up an offering. And, and I think sometimes we use the wrong terminology that we really harm ourselves by not using Bible words. A lot of times we'll, we'll, we'll call the ushers up, we're going to say we're going to take up an offering and we're going to give our tithes. You don't give your tithe. That's not a Bible concept at all. The Bible says we pay our tithes because we owe a tithe. 10% belongs to God. Actually, it's all God's and he just asks for 10% back. And, and what we do of necessity is exactly what God tells us to pay our tithes. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 9, and as I may so say, Levi also who received the tithes, watch the word, paid tithes in Abraham. You see, you pay what you owe, and you give after you pay what you owe, because that's honest. Now, I know that there's a lot of people who will tell me and are maybe even thinking this morning, oh, the tithe, that's Old Testament. So is breathing, but you're still doing it. It started way back in the book of Genesis. Do you know when the tithe started? You said under the law. No, it didn't. It started over 400 years before the law in the book of Genesis. Over 400 years before the law ever was given, we find for the first time in scripture that Abraham commenced the tithe. I believe they were tithing before that. I just think it's the first time it's recorded for our benefit. But 400 years before the law. Jacob continued to give the tithe back in the book of Genesis. 250 years before the law. Moses was instructed to make the tithe. And actually different kinds of tithes. Multiple tithes. A component of the law. Those have been done away with. But the principle of 10% was still, is still here today. And then as we move forward, we find in the Old Testament that Malachi commanded a tithe. We find that Jesus looked at those who were tithing and he commended them for it. When he rebuked the Pharisees for leaving the weightier things of the law undone, he said, you tithe of the smallest amounts. And he said, you ought not to have left that undone, but you should have done these things as well. So Jesus commended the tithe. And then when we get into 1 Corinthians 9, verse 13 and 14, we find that Paul confirms that the tithe is still for this dispensation in which we live because he says there very plainly that those who preach the gospel are to live in the same manner as those they're to receive their bios, live, get their, their means of living in the same manner as the Old Testament priests did. Now how did they get it? From the tithe. So Paul says the tithe continues on. And the tithe is a, is a principle for, for really for the ages. People will often say to me, prove that the tithe still exists. I would say to you, prove that it doesn't. Because it started before the law, and why would I conclude that something that started before the law, like breathing, automatically ended when Jesus said the law was finished? That's not even logical. And it's important for us to recognize that because as we come this morning, I want you to know that you can't really honestly be involved in faith promise giving if you're not paying your tithe. You gotta pay what you owe before you can give a thing. If, if, if I wanna give my wife a birthday present, I wanna give her a nice birthday present, I can't say, you know what, I'll take this month's mortgage payment and I won't pay it so I can give my wife a birthday present. And I'll call the mortgage company and say, hey, listen, I'm just gonna have to wait this month because I'm giving my wife a birthday present. I wanna give it to her. They're going to say, but you owe us the mortgage. I'm going to say, but yeah, I want to give this to my wife. And they're going to say, well, I hope you got a nice tent. <laughs> Why? Because it's honest for me to pay what I owe before I give anything. So I want us to recognize that, that there is this principle of giving. And the principle is every man. And, and not only that, it's giving. It's above and beyond the tithe. Then notice with me this, if you would, please. The plan. How do we do this? Everybody should give. Everybody should give cheerfully. 
It's really a free will offering. That's why I do like the, the idea of grace giving, faith promise missions giving. I'm, go, I'm gonna show you that we're do this by faith, through faith. All your giving should be by faith. Even your tithe is by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But there's a plan. Every man, as he, verse number seven, every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And I hope that you're at a point this morning that you say, okay, the Bible has convinced me. I don't want to convince you of a thing. I don't want you to say you have convinced me. I hope we're at a point where you say the Bible has convinced me. I should be involved. But how? And how much should I give? I don't know. In fact, I can't answer that question for you. Because Paul says... The amount that you give towards missions giving is the amount that you purpose in your heart. And I think it's important for us to recognize that Paul did not say, give as you can reason in your mind, but as you purpose in your heart. Because see, if I can reason it in my mind, it's not faith. And the heart is the seed of faith in the human, in the human, in the human life. Uh, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. So that's where faith functions, in the heart. I can reason out numbers easily. But Paul said, don't do that as you purpose in your heart. As you're led by the will of God and the Spirit of God, as you're reading and praying, and you say to God, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give as much as you want. I believe that God in his word, and we're going to get there, binds himself to tell us and to direct us. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. So this is a matter of the heart. By the way, all giving is a matter of a heart. And it's a matter of faith. But we're not talking about blind faith. We're talking about biblical faith. It goes beyond our reasoning. So if you say to me, how much should I give? I don't know. Pastor can't answer that. Because it's a matter between you in your heart, with the Lord. But we have an example. God doesn't leave us blind on this, and he lets us know how some other people figured it out. And that's why we go back to 2 Corinthians 8. So you're already in chapter 9, maybe a page back in your Bible, maybe the same, same area. But look at chapter 8, and I want to read verses 1 through 10. I'm going to do this very quickly. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. It's important that we note that those are churches, plural, why churches? Because just like every Christian is supposed to be involved, every church is supposed to be involved. Do you the way to the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so would he also finish in you also, the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace, this grace giving also. I speak not by commandment, not of necessity, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice. This is expedient for you who have begun before not only to do but also to, try to be forward a year ago. I want to look at this plan of faith promise missions giving or grace giving, however you like to refer to it. And I want us to notice a couple of things. And the first thing I want us to notice, if you would please, is the purpose of this kind of giving. There's a lot of kind of giving. Building fund giving. Some people have a Nehemiah project and, and there's scripture funds, seed funds giving and there's, there's scripture that we can go to for that. But the scripture right here, this is for missionary work. And I know that because Paul uses as an example to the church at Corinth where he's trying to encourage them to be involved in this giving, he refers back to churches at Macedonia. Now, who are the churches at Macedonia? They're, they're the church at Thessalonica. They're the church at Berea. They're the church at Philippi. You say, well, why is that important? 
Well, because if you know anything about the Bible, then you know this. The church at Philippi was the first missionary partner with the Apostle Paul. They were the first ones to partner with him in faith promise missions giving and send to him the needs that he had to meet the needs. They sent him to meet his necessity or they sent him that which was required so he could get some bios, that which would sustain his life. And they sent them him money and goods for that purpose. Now, the church at Thessalonica is another church, a model church, probably the model church for all of the New Testament. And then we have the Bereans over there as well. And and, in Acts chapter 17, we read that they were even more noble than the Thessalonicans. So these are model churches who are helping Paul in his missionary endeavors. And this kind of giving was for the work outside the church. You say, doesn't this church have needs? It does. They'll be met by the tithe. That's God's plan. The, the faith promise missions giving we're speaking about is for work outside of the church. And specifically, as Paul is laying it out here, I would say that it's, it, it's not hard for us to understand that this is missionary giving. He says in Philippians 4, verse 15 and 16, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, or as I was beginning to go out as a missionary, a church planter, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated. That word communicate means gave. Uh, uh, gave to me uh, concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, as he was planting the church in Thessalonica, ye sent once again unto my necessity. That which was required so he could live. What was that? That was bios. So that I could continue on in the work of the Lord. And so the purpose of this giving is for the support of world of missionaries carrying out the task of world evangelism. But I want you to notice something about this kind of giving. I want you to notice the preciousness of it. And what I mean by that is that, that, that this giving did not come easily. That the people who gave these offerings didn't really have it to give. Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 8, verse number 2, that these people, these Macedonian people in these Macedonian churches were in a great trial of affliction and in deep poverty. These people were poor. And I, I know what it means to be poor by the human standards and by the world standards. I grew up in a single family home. I, 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 remember, I remember a time specifically uh, when I went to the refrigerator and there was no food. I remember going to the cupboards and I remember searching the kitchen and literally the only thing I could find was a bag of marshmallows and a box of jello. My family didn't have any money to buy anything else. That's all we had. Now why my family spent money on marshmallows, I, I couldn't, couldn't tell you. But that's what we had, so I ate marshmallows. I know what it means to be poor from a human standpoint. But I don't know what it means to live in deep poverty. I lived in a house with a refrigerator and a television and all kinds of other amenities. We were poor by human standards, but we weren't in deep poverty. I went to Bible college. The 11th commandment is all Bible college students shall be poor. I remember that when, when my wife and I were in Bible college, man, it was egg noodles for supper. If we had a little extra money, we put green beans in there. And if we were really rich, we bought kibasa and we chopped up a little piece of kibasa and we would have that. And that was what we, that was bios for us. We still eat it today, we enjoy it. But I'm just telling to tell you, I know what it means to be poor by human standards or not have a bunch. But I don't know what it means to live in deep poverty. And you may have a story that tells me, hey, I had it worse than you. And maybe you did. But I'm guessing you don't really know what it means to be in deep poverty and to be persecuted for your faith at the same time so that you really don't know how you're going to even get a job. That's what these Macedonian Christians are facing. They're so poor, poor people call them poor. And yet, the Bible tells us that they gave. Now, how could they have done that? Well, they had bios. They were living and breathing. Was it a lot? Probably not. But God can take what you and I give, remember what we saw in the, the end of our text, and make it sufficient, all sufficient, to carry out every good work. God can take and multiply. You think he can't? He fed 5,000 with two small fish and a few loaves of bread. 
God has a way of multiplying the little we give. So I see, I see the, the, the purpose of the gift and the preciousness of the gift. Would you notice the performance of the giver? For two, or according to verse three of chapter eight, their power, the word power means ability. I bear record. Yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. When I say the performance of the giver in this matter, I mean that there were, there were two ways in which they gave. Really, all of them gave in at least one way. But some gave in another way. The first way is that they all gave in a sacrificial way. Everything they gave was a sacrifice because they're really poor. But some gave in a supernatural way because some gave according to their ability and some gave beyond their ability. Some gave and said, God, would you give through me what you might not give to me? Let me, let me try to ex- illustrate that for you quickly. Say, say you're, a young, you're a young Bible college student and you're, you're poor because that's the 11th commandment and uh, you are hungry and you want to get something to eat before you go to Bible college. And I, I've done this. And, uh, you know, back in my day, you could get a double cheeseburger for a buck. Okay? So you go to McDonald's for a buck, you get a double cheeseburger. But I didn't have a buck. I didn't even have 50 cents. But I had a car and I had kids, so I would, reach, I would literally reach into the cracks of the seat and look for change. Do you know how gross that is? You never know what kids put in, their seat, in the corners of the seats in the car. It's disgusting. But I needed bios. I needed a cheeseburger. So I find a whole dollar in my car. Their quarters are gooey and they are stuck together. And I'm, I feel bad for the person I'm going to hand them to, but I'm going to get some bios. And I'm walking into McDonald's, and as I walk in, I see a guy who's worse off than me. And I look at him, and I, the grace that has been given to me starts to bubble up. And the riches of the liberality of that grace says, hey, invite him to dinner. So I say, hey, come on, buddy. And I don't get a double cheeseburger. Now i got to buy two 50-cent hamburgers. I know I'm dating myself. I don't look that old, but I am. Now i got to buy two 50-cent hamburgers. Did I sacrifice? I think so. I think that's sacrifice. But it was according to my ability. What if I find a $5 bill? It's still gross and gooey and disgusting. But now I'm like, hallelujah, and you know, having a, a, doing a little jig on the way into McDonald's, and my girls are wishing I won't do it right now. And I see not one, but I see three guys. And it looks like they haven't eaten for a while. And the grace of God starts welling up in me. And the riches of my liberality start to come, and I say, hey, guys, let's go eat. Whatever you can get for five bucks, guys, it's yours. And I spend the whole five bucks on them. My bios is the free water. I think that's the supernatural giving. It's, it's small, But I've gone without food. But here's what I know. My God will not be a debtor to anybody. I will eat. I might not eat right now, but I will eat. And so God is saying, look it. I want you to be involved. And it may be a sacrifice. But you cannot sacrifice God. And you can't give more than God gave. And so I see here, I see here the principle, uh, 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 the plan for giving and, and the, the, the purpose of the gift and the preciousness of the gift and the performance of the giver. But then I see the promptitude of the giver as well. These people, as they gave, the Bible says in verse number four, prayed Paul with much entreaty that he would receive the gift. Literally, they begged Paul to let, him, let them be involved in his missionary efforts. A lot of people come to missions conferences and say, well, I've got to go to missions conference. I'll probably even have to give something. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to. The churches at Macedonia said, we don't have a thing, but hallelujah, I want to be involved. And Paul, would you please let me be involved in this? And would you let me give something? 
Can you imagine how many more missionaries we would have around the world today if you and I had the attitude of the Macedonians and said, hey, I, I so badly want to be involved. I'm going to beg you to take my money. We'll put the offering plates up here. You won't have to beg very long. But it's not really about your money anyway. Because the next thing I want you to see is the, the point of origin of the gift. Because really, if you think this is all about money, you've missed the point. You really have. Verse 5 says this. In this they did. What? They begged to give money. Not as we hoped. That Paul didn't hope that that was going to be the case. Watch what happened. But first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Where did all this giving come from? Where did all this desire to give come from? came from a heart that said, God, I just want to do anything you want me to do. That's where it came from. The, the most asked question I get in ministry is this, how can I know the will of God for my life? And we try to make it so hard and so difficult and it doesn't need to be. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, the word prove means discern, that you may discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know God's will for your life? Give him your will. He'll tell you exactly what to do with it. And when God has your will, he has your wallet. And if God doesn't have your will, you will always fight with God over your wallet. This is not about your wallet. It's about your heart. That's what it's about. God is, God does, listen, God doesn't need your wallet or mine. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills. He owns the gold under the hills. He's letting us get involved. The truth of the matter is, as you and I determine our faith, promise, missions, giving, we're going to look and we're going to say, I wonder how much of my money should I give to God? That is a wrong way to look at it. What I'm saying is, how much of God's money are you going to keep for yourself? Because I want you to understand something. Everything you have came from God. And if God has your heart, that's not difficult for you to get over. That's, that's not a hard point. That's not, that's not a bitter pill to swallow. The point of origin is, God, I'll do anything. Whatever you want me to do. And then the proving of the giver's heart. Paul says, I speak not by commandment, verse number eight, but by the occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. Here it is. I told you at the beginning. You don't have to do this. You don't have to. You could not be involved in faith, promise, missions, giving. And I couldn't tell you, well, you're out of the will of God. But I would say this to you. Be careful. You do have to carry out the Great Commission. And you do have to reach Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and the uttermost parts of the earth. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says we have to do it all at the same time. So unless you have a plan better than what God is presenting to us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on how to get people to the uttermost parts of the earth all at the same time so that we're reaching the world with the gospel at the same time. If you have a better plan, do it. But if you don't, I submit to you this is probably the right plan. Now you don't have to do it. You don't have to. But if you do, you prove something. What do you prove? The sincerity of your love. You see, you can, you can give, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And when we give, we're proving the sincerity of our love. Our daughter is recently married to a very fine young man. He was a Bible college student. You know the 11th commandment, thou shall be poor. My daughter said to me, now, Dad, don't get on him about a ring. Don't get, he doesn't need to buy me a ring. We're going to be missionaries in Nepal. And, and he, I don't need a ring. I just need Seamus. You know how that goes, right? I just need Seamus. It'll be okay. I don't need a ring. And I'm like, he's buying you a ring. And she's like, Dad, don't do that to him. And I said, no, he's going to buy you a ring. Now, he was always intending to buy her a ring. Don't get, don't, I don't want to have Seamus in bad light here. It was just my daughter saying, don't make him buy me a ring, huh? I said to my daughter, listen, you know Seamus loves you. 
Seamus needs to prove to me that he loves you, so he's buying you a ring. <laughs> now, I knew Seamus. I knew Seamus loved my daughter without the ring. What's the ring? Just tangible proof. Just tangible proof that he really does love her. You don't have to do this. I would have let him marry my daughter without the ring. I'm not that hard a guy. I would have got him on a payment plan. He would have eventually got a ring. (laughs) You don't need a diamond ring to get married. But there would be a lot of people who would wonder, does he really love her? And God says, you don't have to do this. But if you do, you prove something. You prove your love to me. You say, well, God shouldn't be putting me in the habit of having to prove my love. Well, God proved his love to you. That's what the next verse says. So I see the picture of the gift in verse number nine. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Are you not glad this morning? Are you not glad that, uh, that John 3.16 doesn't stop short when it says, for God so loved the world? Aren't you glad that there's more than that? Because if all John 3.16 said was God so loved the world, you and I would be sitting around going, but how do I know? But God commendeth his love toward us, proved, demonstrated, manifested his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know God loved me? Jesus died for me. Every nail that he pierced his skin, every hair that was plucked from his face, every lash of the whip that he endured, all the mocking, all of the pain, all of the suffering, every walk, every step towards Golgotha says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I will never doubt his love. He proved it. God says, you don't have to do this. You don't have to. But if you do, you'll prove something. You'll prove the sincerity of your love. Notice with me in verse number 10. Notice with me the the prodding of the potential giver. The prodding of the potential giver. Paul says, and herein I give my advice. And he literally means that, my advice, my opinion. But remember, this is the apostle Paul's opinion under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So I would put some good weight to that. Here's my opinion, Paul says. This is expedient for you. This is good for you. Why? Oh, because you'll be able to carry out the Great Commission this way. And that will put you in line with the will of God. So this is good for you to do this. You don't don't have to do this, Paul says. But I'm going to give you my, my advice. If you do, you'll prove something. You'll prove your love. And not only that, it'll be good for you. It'll be good for you. How do I get involved? Same way the Macedonians did. God, whatever you want, whatever you want, because that's only reasonable. God will show you and I exactly how to be involved. Some will do it sacrificially. Some will do it supernaturally. But everybody should do it. I close with this. Go back to chapter 9 and verse number 8. Notice the promise that is given to the giver. We started off with the principle. We went through the plan. Notice the promise. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You know what? I am so thankful that it says all grace. I'm so thankful that it doesn't say God will give you a great big house. I'd rather have grace than a house. I'm so thankful that it doesn't say God will give you a great big salary. I'd rather have grace than a salary. Pastor said, I, my family and I, he said, I've got a fancy title. He was kind of careful with it this time. I do, I have a pretty fancy title. Far North Director with Baptist International Missions Incorporated. Aren't you impressed? Don't be. You know what my salary for that job is? Zero. That's exactly what they pay me. Nothing. In fact, I have to furnish all my, my office with all my furnishings. They don't pay me anything. The church in Arizona paid us a salary. Guess what? When they brought the new pastor in, they said, yeah, we're going to give that to him, not you. That was fair. Right now, presently, we have three churches who send us the money. One church, very faithfully, $100 a month. Two others, very sporadically. Uh, that's it. That's the whole of the salary. 
That's all the money coming in. But here's what I know. I can still give to Faith Promise Giving, and I can expect great things, because I've got some bios, and God can make all grace abound toward me. And I'd rather have grace than anything else. But on top of grace, on top of grace, because God does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think on our marker plate, on our cards, from Phoenix, it's from Arizona, but it's Ephesians 3.20. We love that verse. But all we can ask or think, and the word think means imagine. God says, I can do more than you can imagine. On top of that grace, you also have all sufficiency, bios, in all things. I'm not fretting about where my next meal's coming from. I've, I've eaten a whole this week. I'm doing fine. It's not my first rodeo. We've been here before. First time we did it, we had $200 a month. And why will he do that? That we might abound to every good work. I hope you and I, I, hope you and I could agree that the supporting of missionaries is a good work. It's a good work. You have a Faith Promise Missions card in your hand. In a moment, we're going to ask you to, to consider that card. It's really very simple. In dependence upon God, I purpose that in my heart, I would give to world evangelism through this local church the following amount. You're going to write an amount down there. And then there's a place to write each week, each month, or other. Please be very careful about how you do that. Because the church is going to formulate its budget based on what you write. And if you're going to give $100 a month, but you check off week, that's going to throw the budget off. So be very, very careful with that. And then underneath, it just has a place where you can mark your age group. Youth, teens, or adults. If you're unaware of which age group you fall into, I can't help you. But pastor can. The reason we do that is not so we can kind of figure out people or anything else. It's simply this. There's a line between faith and foolishness. And if an adult writes that I'm going to give $300 plus a week, and by the way, we had a man in Arizona who gave the smallest check he ever gave was $330 a week, and he was, by all human standards, poor. I'm going to give $330 a week. If an adult writes that, the church is going to, by faith, accept that and enter it into their budget. But if a child does that, then we want to meet that child. That's all, because we're not really sure that the child has that. Now, if the child does, God bless you and see me after the service. It's really as simple as that. And I want you so badly to be involved in this, because as Paul says, this is expedient for you. What if I were to say this to you this morning? What if I were to say to you, you're, you're kind of wondering, what if I were to say to you, look, I want you to so, so badly, I want you to be involved in this, that here's what I will do for you. If you've never been involved in before, you're unsure, meet me after the service. I'll give you my personal cell phone number. And I promise that if there comes a week in your faith promise of giving that you can't make it, I will make it up to you. I will write you a check personally. Maybe then you'll get involved. Now, if you thought for one millisecond, that sounds like a good idea. Let me ask you this question, and I'm done. Why would you trust a guy who has no salary to make up the difference when all I'm asking you to do is trust the God who created everything and owns everything. You don't have to do this, but if you do, you'll prove something. You prove the sincerity of your love. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and, and Lord, we want to. We want to prove the sincerity of our love. It's just our reasonable service. And Lord, we pray now as pastor closes the service as he sees fit that you'll have your will and way in the decisions that are made. And, and Lord, that you'll be well pleased in all that's done here in these closing moments and in the week to come as Faith Promise missions cards come in. We're going to give you the glory for it because you alone are do it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.